one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome to History of Europe, Key Battles, The Thirty Years' War, Part 1 of 7, The Background to the Conflict. The home oak scarred and blasted by the wind's chill breath, break its own branches off, condemns itself to death. When brother fights with brother, civil war will start, Bring pain and grief to all, and tear the land apart. This text comes from a hugely popular adventure novel of the 1600s, Simplicius Simplicissimus, whose author, Hans von Grimmelhausen, experienced at first hand the horrors of the Thirty Years' War, which ran from 1618 to 1648, and is the subject of this set of episodes. The novel depicts the story of a man called Simplicius, who was conscripted at a young age into military service, and was not only very widely read in its own time in the 1660s, but hugely influential for popular imagination of warfare in the pre-modern era. As well as works of fiction, historians have discovered more than 70 contemporary eyewitness accounts of the Thirty Years' War, which have helped together build a detailed picture of the effects of warfare on the everyday life of those who lived through it, soldiers and civilians alike. The Thirty Years' War still burns in German memory as the most devastating and bloody period in their history before the 20th century. Writes Peter Wilson in his book, Europe's Tragedy, A New History of the Thirty Years' War, the conflict, quote, occupies a place in German and Czech history similar to that of the civil wars in Britain, Spain and the United States, or the revolutions in France and Russia, a defining moment of national trauma that shaped how a country regards itself and its place in the world, unquote. The German author, Friedrich Schiller, is best known for publishing his History of the War in 1791, followed by his Wallenstein trilogy in 1799, which remains the equivalent of Shakespeare's history plays for the German-speaking world. It is predicted that some parts of Central Europe lost up to a third or even one half of their population. Historians debate exact numbers, but a very significant loss is not doubted. As the war dragged on for over three decades, the German-speaking territories of Central Europe faced the worst of the fighting, which came to involve various powers on the continent, including Spain, France, Hungary, Denmark and Sweden. 
Foreign soldiers from different sides, without sufficient supplies to maintain themselves, lived off the land, leaving a trail of hunger and disease. In addition, we have engravings of Jacques Callan, whose homeland of Lorraine suffered from military occupation. They depict executions and hangings of men and women whose offences range from refusing to pay protection money or to provide food, or simply defending themselves against the marauding soldiers. The 17th century was one of the most bloody of European history, with only four years of complete peace across the continent. One difference from before was that conflict in one area tended to expand geographically and to suck in other powers as allies. The net effect, writes Joseph Bergen in his book on the 17th century, was to, quote, to ratchet up the scale of military campaigns and the size of armies, unleashing something which in many cases the states engaged in war could not finance or manage effectively, and consequently were unable to bring to a decisive conclusion, end quote. Although most of the fighting and resulting misery of the Thirty Years' War took place in German lands, many of the causes of conflict originated elsewhere. It is therefore useful to take a tour around Europe in the first years of the 17th century. In the Baltic region, Sweden was engaged in bitter conflict with Denmark, from whom the Swedes had declared their independence in 1523. The new Swedish king from 1611... Gustavus Adolphus was also at war with his cousin, King Sigismund III of Poland, who he met in the set of episodes on the Battle of Chotin. A devout Catholic, Sigismund claimed the throne of Protestant Sweden, and both he and Gustavus had become embroiled in the civil war in Russia, known as the Time of Troubles. Since the invasion of Italy in 1494 by Charles VIII of France, the two great powers of Western Europe had fought for control of the Italian peninsula. Spain eventually came out on top when they agreed peace in the Treaty of Cateau Cambresi in 1559. France soon after suffered the wars of religion, which left her powerless to intervene in European affairs until the restoration of peace and stability under Henry IV in 1598. The overriding concern of the French was to break through the encircling ring of Habsburg possessions, which extended from the Pyrenees across to North Italy and northwards through Burgundy to the Spanish Netherlands. Although in part motivated by concerns for her own security, French efforts to expand their frontier were also intended to weaken Spain. French expansion to the east threatened to disrupt the so-called Spanish Road, a crucial communication link for the Habsburgs. Soldiers from Castile, Sicily and Naples made their rendezvous in Genoa, from where they then headed north to the Spanish possession of Lombardy. From there, the road followed a variety of routes across Savoy through Franche-Comté and Lorraine to Luxembourg. The Spanish, under King Philip III, sought to improve relations with France, arguing that the Catholic power should be working together against the Protestant heretics. In the first decade of the 1600s, Philip concentrated his forces on attempting to defeat the Dutch, and he urged Henry IV to consider a marriage alliance between their families. The war between the Spanish and the United Provinces had begun with a rebellion of the Dutch against King Philip II of Spain. The Netherlands had since split into two parts, 
the northern provinces of the Union of Utrecht, dominated by the Calvinist-led states of Holland and Zealand, and the southern Catholic provinces restored to the Spanish monarchy since the Union of Arras in 1578. A frontier between the two had stabilised around the Rhine Delta, and so with neither side able to defeat the other, both struggling with the costs of war, an armistice was arranged in 1607. In 1609 they agreed a declaration of twelve years' truce, although in the meantime both strengthened their positions in anticipation of a possible renewal of war when the truce ended in 1621. The opposing sides in the conflict, Spain and the United Provinces of the Dutch, represented two very different sides of Europe. Spain was Catholic, rather stuck in a medieval past and dominated by aristocrats, monks and soldiers. The Dutch, on the other hand, were Calvinist, extraordinarily successful at developing new commercial enterprises. Each side represented what the other most hated, feared or suspected. The truce of 1609 marked a period of relative peace on the continent, with most major powers exhausted after decades of warfare. Already in 1598, Henry IV of France had concluded the Petit of Vervannes with France and issued the Edict of Nantes, guaranteeing the rights of the Huguenots and ending nearly four decades of religious conflict. The long-running Anglo-Spanish conflict, which had included the Spanish Armadas, likewise came to an end after the cession of James VI of Scotland to the English throne as James I of England. The last Spanish effort to support Catholic resistance in Ireland failed, and was followed soon after by a negotiated peace in 1604. Nevertheless, tensions simmered, aggravated by religious differences. In France, where the Edict of Nantes was bitterly resented by the Catholic majority, and even more so in the Holy Roman Empire, where the Peace of Augsburg was forever under threat. This agreement of 1555 introduced the principle that every territorial lord in the empire had the right to choose the confessional status of his dominions, and his or her subjects must either conform or emigrate. Individual personal religious freedom was still banned, although a temporary working form of toleration was established where central government was too weak to impose conformity. This was the case in Poland, Bohemia, Hungary and the Swiss Confederation. The Peace of Augsburg is credited with preventing the kind of religious civil war in the empire that afflicted France. The period from 1555 to 1618 was one of a relative peace, with few violent incidents, but no general conflict. Tensions, however, remained unresolved. Only certain forms of Protestantism were permitted. Lutheranism, for example, but not Calvinism, since at the time of the Peace of Augsburg was drawn up, there were no Calvinist rulers. The later spread of Calvinism and further expansion of Lutheranism undermined peace, for the Catholics were determined to oppose such gains. While Emperors Ferdinand I reigned 1556 to 1564, and his son Maximilian II, 1564 to 1576, had been moderate Catholics, 
the ascension of Rudolf II coincided with a new determination among the Catholics to impose their interpretation of the Peace of Augsburg. In 1582, for example, the ruler of Cologne became Protestant, but he was removed by a joint force from Spain and Bavaria, securing Catholicism in northwestern Germany. At the age of 11, Rudolf had been sent to Madrid. The austere, emotionally detached environment of the Spanish court left a lasting impression and strengthened his Catholic faith. Peter Wilson suggests the experience gave him an inflated sense of majesty that prevented him from delegating responsibility to those who wanted to help him. Rudolf was a rather reserved and rather secretive individual who did not like to travel and showed little enthusiasm for the daily affairs of state. He never married, preferring instead his long-term mistress and was most interested in being a patron of the arts and in the study of astrology and alchemy. In 1583, he moved the imperial court to Prague, partly for military reasons, as Vienna was dangerously close to the Ottoman frontier. He filled his palace with an impressive collection of paintings, sculptures, jewels, manuscripts, books and scientific instruments. To his court were invited astronomers, philosophers, writers and musicians. The Kingdom of Bohemia was already a crucial part of the Holy Roman Empire, contributing more in money and troops to the imperial armies than any other territory, and enjoying somewhat of a golden age of Prague, for which he, Rudolf, is still fondly associated in the Czech Republic today. With a population of about 4 million, Bohemia was, by contemporary standards, densely populated. Its textile and glassware industries were booming, and its mines were important producers of silver, iron and tin. Rudolf, however, as he grew older, suffered more frequently from periodic bouts of depression, causing his further withdrawal from the world and its affairs and into his private interests. As for religion... Rudolf's main concern was to avoid conflict in his domains, fearing that this would undermine order and his own power, and make his realms more vulnerable to Turkish attack. He dreamed of reuniting the splits and making Christianity whole again, if necessary by compromise. But he had no real plan for achieving this, nor was it probably realistic. Meanwhile, the Catholic faith had been reduced to a small minority in Bohemia, observed by only about 10% of the population. The University of Prague was Protestant in ethos, and Protestants dominated the Bohemian Diet or Parliament. As Rudolf became more disengaged with affairs of state, including the politics of confessional dispute, he exerted virtually no control over them, and events instead swept past him. In 1593, border skirmishes between the Holy Roman and Ottoman empires boiled over into full-blown war. Neither side made any significant gains in the so-called Long Turkish War, which coincided with a rebellion in Transylvania. With Rudolf increasingly neglectful of affairs of state, into the power vacuum stepped his ambitious younger brother, Matthias. 
In April 1606, Matthias persuaded his younger brother, Maximilian, and cousin, Ferdinand of Styria, to declare himself as head of the family. Rudolf was to be declared mentally unfit, clearing the way for his lands to pass to Matthias as a step towards the imperial title. Matthias took over negotiations with the Transylvanian rebels without Rudolf's approval. The result was the Peace of Vienna of June 1606, which guaranteed religious freedom in Hungary. The agreement helped clear the way for Matthias to also end the debilitating Long Turkish War by concluding the Treaty of Zidfatorok in November. Although the war had nearly bankrupted the Habsburgs, the Turks had also suffered. They suffered a chain of problems which helped keep them interfering in the Thirty Years' War. Rudolf considered Matthias's actions as treasonous, and the family split soon escalated into armed conflict. In 1608, Matthias persuaded the Austrian, Hungarian and Moravian leadership to support him against Rudolf, but in return he had to promise them considerable religious liberties. Rudolf was left with the backing of Bohemia, and to secure this he also had to make major capitulations. He agreed to what became known as the Letter of Majesty of 1609, which allowed significant religious freedoms, including the right of non-Catholics to build churches and schools. Then, in the year 1610, Rudolf attempted to strike back at Matthias, but he could not afford to pay the troops he assembled in Bohemia, who then began plundering. The Bohemian estates finally lost patience with their ruler and declared him deposed in 1611. Matthias's takeover was complete when he imprisoned Rudolf and had himself crowned emperor. After years of effort attempting to gain the throne, Matthias proved to be as weak and ineffectual a ruler as Rudolf. He returned the imperial capital to Vienna and came under increasing pressure from Catholic activists to prepare for religious confrontation. He disallowed the construction of Protestant churches and censored their publications, but this renewed tensions. Under various concessions made that Rudolf and Matthias had been compelled to make during their civil war had also boosted the Protestants in several regions of the empire. In fact, the overall impact of years of infighting among the Habsburg had left the monarchy severely weakened. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 
By the late 1500s, the Protestants had established themselves as the majority of the nobility in Austria, Bohemia and Hungary, as well as in numerous parts of Germany. Still, Protestant princes and cities of the Empire were deeply concerned at efforts to undermine their religious liberties as part of the Counter-Reformation. They got together to form a military alliance for their mutual protection, called the Protestant Union. As for their leader, they chose the Elector Palatine, Frederick IV, who canvassed for support from anti-Habsburg foreign powers. Not all Protestant rulers joined, most noticeably absent were Saxony and Brandenburg. In response to the Protestant Union, the Catholics established their own alliance called the Catholic League with Duke Maximilian of Bavaria as their head. The first ride of strength of the rival unions came almost immediately after their formation in 1609, with the death of Duke William of Cleves and Ulrich. His territories were in a key strategic position on the Lower Rhine, and the fact that both rival claimants were Protestants greatly alarmed the German Catholics, while the Spanish feared for the consequences this would have on her lines of communication, the Spanish Road. The French, meanwhile, saw an opportunity to weaken their Habsburg rivals. The fortress of Ulrich was occupied by Imperial forces in July, but recaptured a couple of months later by a joint Dutch, French and German Protestant force. The outbreak of a general war looked likely, as King Henry IV of France prepared for an invasion, but the conflict de-escalated when he was assassinated in May 1610. The Spanish were also reluctant to get involved, having just signed a truce with the Dutch. Without support from foreign allies, neither the Catholic League nor Protestant Union were prepared to go into full-scale war, and a compromise was reached when the territories were split between Catholic and Protestant rulers. Nevertheless, the events demonstrated how easy it was for a dispute over the succession of a minor group of duchies to quickly spread and entangle not only rival German leagues and the emperor, but also the governments of France, Spain and the United Provinces. This context helps explain the reasons given traditionally by historians for the outbreak of the Thirty Years' War. The view, inspired by C.V. Wedgwood's classic work, The Thirty Years' War, published in 1938, was that the conflict of religions in Germany and the breakdown of the Peace of Augsburg led to a civil war in which foreign powers then became involved. Current historians describe the reasons for war as far more complex, disputing to what extent religious issues were the key cause or if economic and social forces were more important. A large part of the explanation must also be the dynastic and political tensions between the great powers, especially between the French and Habsburgs, and between Spain and the United Provinces. Another key reason was the question of imperial succession. Matthias, just as Rudolf, was unable to produce an heir, predictably prompting potential candidates to jockey for position. Those candidates included King Philip III of Spain, the grandson of Matthias's father, Maximilian, and Frederick V, the Elector Palatine. 
The young Frederick, born in 1596, was a committed Calvinist who feared a plot by Catholics to wipe out Protestantism and convert the empire into a Habsburg hereditary monarchy. His deep faith convinced him of the righteousness of his cause and certain that God was on his side, a confidence in ultimate victory. His lands, the County Palatine was a set of fragmented territories along the River Rhine, and his position was elevated by his marriage to Elizabeth, daughter of King James I of England. Fear of a Spaniard or Protestant becoming emperor helped rally support behind Matthias's cousin Ferdinand of Styria, while Philip agreed to some territories in Alsace and Italy in return for renouncing his claims. Ferdinand of Styria, whose duchy formed the central part of Inner Austria, was as devout a Catholic as Frederick was a Calvinist. Born in the city of Graz, he was a shy youth and short in stature, but friendly and well disposed to those around him. His mother, Maria of Bavaria, sent him to the Jesuit College in Ingolstadt, where he was schooled in the spirit of the Counter-Reformation and came to firmly believe that upholding the Catholic Church was his and his dynasty's God-given mission. Where his father had made concessions to the Protestants of Styria, Ferdinand, on his accession at the age of 17, subjected them to systematic persecution. He debarred them from public office, closed their churches and schools, and authorised the mass burnings of their books. Then he gave all but those of noble birth three weeks in which to conform or leave the country. It was a risky gamble, and after 10,000 of his subjects chose exile, Styria was successfully purged of Protestants. Ferdinand's early success in Inner Austria had a profound effect on his attitude to the religious questions in the Empire, and on his policies later as Emperor. In 1615, the Austrian Habsburgs, determined to avoid the title slipping to a Spaniard, agreed among themselves that Ferdinand would be their candidate to succeed Matthias in Austria, Bohemia, Hungary and the Empire. He had four children, to which the succession into the next generation looked reasonably secure. And so it was Frederick V and Ferdinand who had to be the main antagonists in the first stage of the Thirty Years' War and a revolt in Bohemia, which I will recount next week. It's great to be back after a break of a, a few weeks or months from the... Uh, from the podcast, but uh, the world seems to have changed since uh, since that time with the pandemic and the uh, lockdown. I hope you're all well, and uh, you know we'll we'll get through this. So as for the podcast, there'll be lots to talk about with the Thirty Years' War. So there'll be seven parts in total, and after that, lots more. You've got the English. Civil War, then back to Eastern Europe, where I talk about a couple of events, the Ruin and the Deluge. Then back again to the West and talk about the Anglo-Dutch Wars from the 1650s and 1670s. 
and then to Central Europe and talk about the Siege of Vienna of 1683 and after that plenty more. If you haven't already done so, you might like to check out the Facebook group of the podcast. Just search for History of Europe Key Battles. Or if Twitter is more your thing, then you can go to at History Europe KB, letters KB for Key Battles. If you enjoy the podcast, then perhaps you'd like to put a review on iTunes or some other podcast software. That can help other people know really what the what the podcast is is all about and in, and encourage them to enjoy it as well. So next week we continue on the Thirty Years' War. Where I'll be talking about the actual beginning of the war, the Bohemian Revolt of sixteen eighteen, and the famous defenestration of Prague. To finish off, I'd like to introduce a new part of the podcast. I'd like to play some of the music which might be around at the time of the events taking place in the podcast. Today's piece is by the composer Giovanni Pierluigi de Palestrina, who lived from about 1525 to 1594, was an Italian Renaissance composer of sacred music. This is the Pope Marcellus Mass, his best-known Mass, which for a long time was traditionally sung at Papal Coronation Masses, and comes courtesy of the website of open-source music, museopen.org.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.